This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Do you think you may have a problem with your alcohol consumption or drug use? Are you thinking about quitting and want to know what all the sober hype is about? Are you in recovery and chose to tune in for some inspiration? Whatever the reason, I'm so grateful you are here with me today. My name is Sarah, and I am the creator and host of this podcast. I spent most of my life drinking, and eventually I realized how alcohol was negatively impacting my life in many ways. One day at the age of 39, I decided I was sick and tired of feeling sick and tired, and I reached out for help. I have been sober since 2012, and it has changed my life in ways I never imagined. I am so happy that I got the chance to live a more comfortable life, free of the chains of addiction. Today, my life just keeps getting better. Sober Gratitudes was born out of the desire to recover out loud so that others could see the hope in sobriety. In each episode, I speak with a recovered alcoholic or addict who shares how their life changed for the better after they got sober. I welcome you to subscribe to my podcast to hear these amazing stories of people from all walks of life. They too want to share in this mission to help others and to end stigmas of addiction. I promise you, you will be inspired. Whether you have been here before or you were a first-time listener, I would be so grateful if you would take a minute to write a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show so that it can reach more people who may be struggling. You can also reach me at sobergratitudes at gmail.com with any questions or comments. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you again for dropping in today and welcome to Sober Gratitudes. Hi everyone, welcome to season two, episode one with Brian Hyman. My name is Sarah and I'm so glad you're here for season two of Sober Gratitudes podcast. My guest today is a yogi from California who recently created and published a 30-day audio course at InsightTimer.com. Brian shares about his journey to get to emotional sobriety. He teaches yoga as a form of recovery from addictions of all kinds at a California rehabilitation center. So without further ado, welcome Brian. Hello again. Hi, Brian. So thrilled to have you on my podcast, Brian. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity to share about life and recovery and yoga and so much more. I'm always curious to know how um, people connect with the podcast and what drew you to this particular platform. Sure. I was actually online looking for recovery themed or sobriety themed podcasts and somehow sober gratitudes popped up. So I took a look and a listen and I I loved it. I noticed there are a lot of podcasts out there 
and some are selling services, coaching services, courses, things like that. And um, one of the things that I loved about Sober Gratitudes was it just seemed to be people sharing their experience and strength and hope and stories of uh, transformation and survival. And it was really inspiring. So I don't have any judgment or opinion uh, regarding which podcasts are better or worse. Um, I think everyone gets what they get from whatever they get it from. Um, but what I loved about the Sober Gratitudes was that I just, um, I noticed there were really personal stories about people sharing their experience and not just the, the uh, addiction part of, of uh, what we talk about when we're in recovery, but the other side of it, the solution and what life is like on the other side once we overcome the addiction and how great life can be and the miracles and the, the love and the joy. So that's what I saw in the uh, Sober Gratitudes podcast. That's why I'd reached out and, and uh, wanted to be part of it and um, help share the message. I'm so grateful for that. And you'll be my first episode for season two. So this is, this will be great. Uh, yeah. I felt that you, um, I looked at your story on your website and wow, what an incredible story you have and what now that you're recovered or in recovery now for some time, I love what you're doing with your life. And, and that's um, what I, what I'd love to hear about today from you is where, where you were before you got to where you are now, what, what was life like for you? And what I mean by what was life like for you, I'm talking not just about the external things, but the internal, the internal things that were going on for you before you found a sober life. Sure. It's interesting. I was actually thinking about this today. The idea that the longer we stay sober, I've been sober at this point, a little more than 10 years. And with time comes reflection if this question was asked when I had one year sober, it would be a lot different, the answer, than it would be today. Each year, each time, we get a chance to think about what it was like and what had happened. Um, depending on the distance between now and then, the perspective shifts. Um, so years ago, I would have said that my life was miserable and terrible, and I didn't feel like I fit in with other people, and I just felt like an alien in this world. And all this, there's similar things that we hear, similar themes with, with people who, who uh, use alcohol and drugs to escape reality or, or just to check out for a little while. Um, at this point in my sobriety, what it was like was I always knew I had an issue with alcohol, specifically for me, that was my issue, alcohol. And I was, um, I'm not sure I knew it at the time, but I was always using it again, looking back with, with years of reflection, I was using it as a way to, as a salve, as a balm to, to check out. It was just kind of a medicine just to numb myself, to smooth out the edges. So I started doing that in my teenage years and then through my twenties. And the issue was I was always the one in my circle of friends that was doing it more and staying up later and then starting to get into trouble. And I didn't know when to stop. They would stop my friends and go to work the next day. I, I just couldn't stop. And um, I'm not sure what happens. Somewhere in there, I guess we lose ourselves. What's interesting about doing a, a podcast like this or anytime we get a chance to share our experiences, 
as we share it, it's almost as if we're reliving it again. Um, and as I mentioned, if you ask me in, in five more years, I may have a totally different story. But what it was like was I wasn't a participant in my own life. That's what I can look back on and realize that I was only half there, if that. I was barely there. I was just a shell, like, like this walking physical human being. But emotionally, I wasn't there. Uh, if I was, I wasn't able to handle the emotions. And I don't know where that comes from, if it's upbringing, if it's schooling, if it's passed down through generations, I'm not sure. Um, but I always had a sense of kind of loneliness. I guess I'll get uh, uh, closer to the, maybe the answer that might help some other people is, I always felt kind of lonely, a little distant, maybe even a little sad, depressed as a teenager in my 20s and always trying to fit in and, and get, I was seeking um, attention and um, I wanted to be a part of something. I never knew what that was. I think that was an issue as well. I wanted to be uh, recognized for doing certain things and I wasn't getting the attention that I wanted and um, and alcohol, like I said, was there as a way to just um, soothe me and help me feel okay until it didn't feel okay anymore. And it, be, it started to overtake the other ambitions. For example, I, I moved to New York City when I was 24 and I wanted to be an artist and an actor and a writer and a creative type. And But I drank a lot and um, I spent a lot more time nursing hangovers than I did creating new projects and art and um at some point, the alcohol takes over, and I can't speak for other drugs. I'm not sure what the story is for for other people and, and what they do and how they do it, but uh, I just know that toward the end of my drinking, I got sober at 34, so if, uh, many people can imagine if I started doing this in my teenage years, it was about 20 years of just slowly declining. It's a very slow decline for many people. Uh, it's a very slow way to just obliterate ourselves and to disappear from the world. Um, so when I got to the place where I was in need of rescue, um, resurrection, transformation, it wasn't so much a choice. It was a necessity. I didn't uh, decide one day, I should try and get sober. Let's see what that's all about. It was either live or die. That's what it came down to. It was, um, it was time to either start living my life or just continue to go the way I was going, which was, I was probably going to die soon. I had some medical issues from my drinking. I was bleeding in places where people aren't supposed to bleed. Um, the depression was setting in, the, um, the dark feelings, the negativity, the, the mantra in my head toward the end of my drinking was, I hate my life. I hate my life. I hate my life. And I couldn't get it out of my head. It was always in there. And I tried to escape. I, I lived in New York City, as I mentioned. So I thought, you know what? New York City is the problem. Uh, it's not so much the drinking or me. It's just this city. It's so loud and crazy. And I'm going to go to LA. So I moved to Los Angeles. But the problem was I took myself with me. So all my same issues were in LA. It was me. It wasn't the city or the people around me. It was always me. It was my internal life. And maybe we can talk about this more. Is the idea of emotional sobriety is physical sobriety is just putting the bottle or the substance down and away but the thinking that leads to that is still there we have to also address that in our recovery or else we're, at some point we're going to either go insane or, or have to reach out for that uh, bottle or, or drug or whatever it might be again so um, the uh, I think it was the internal life that finally got me to a place where I needed to get sober um, physically I was starting to decline and, and my body was breaking down and 
but it was the mental anguish and the um, that daily mantra in my head that 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 phrase I hate my life and nothing was worthwhile nothing was worth living for even toward the end um, just before I got sober my mother uh, was diagnosed with a, a brain tumor and uh, she had brain cancer and even that wasn't enough to wake me up to how fragile life is and mortality eventually it did when she passed away I was there I held her hand and that was finally the catalyst where all the nonsense, all the drinking, all the, the insanity of, of being an active alcoholic, it finally started to, a solution started to appear within the madness, which was amazing. And I think this is amazing when even in the midst of our turmoil and, our, and the insanity of active addiction, the solution is there. The answers are there, even if we can't see them. There just needs to be a willingness and an honesty in my personal story, when I had to get honest with myself that there was definitely a problem that I'd been denying for so many years, and I was willing to actually do something about it, it wasn't long at all before all of a sudden my life changed dramatically and in a positive way. But it took what it took. It took years and years, in my case, of misery and negativity and selfishness and self-obsession and self-absorption. Um, to get me to a place where um, uh, I saw how fragile life was. My mother passed away, and that was the catalyst that woke me up. And I finally decided that I wanted to live a little bit more than I wanted to die. And that's all it took was that tiny, as, the, as it says in the Bible, that mustard seed, that little tiny bit of willingness to want to see what this life thing may have in store for me. You know, that If I may get a second chance, if, if what that might look like. And and I started on to the path of recovery. And maybe that might be a whole other section of the conversation of how we do that because everyone has their own way. There's treatment centers, there's rehabs, there's sober living, there's sweating it out, there's detoxing at home, there's 12-step recovery, smart recovery, refuge recovery, celebrate recovery. Um, so I had to find the one that worked for me. Yeah. And I'd, yeah. Yeah, we so, also, I, I just, I'm, I, listening to you, I identify with everything you're saying and the, the madness you speak of, like the, that feeling of that negative, negative self-talk and that, that darkness, that loneliness, all those words that you use and switching um, areas that you live in the country, thinking that that's the problem and the inability to kind of really connect to that to the fact that it's really an issue going on with ourselves, not where we're living or um, what kind of job we have or anything or how much money we have or the size of our house that it's, it's amazing how I know for me, I had a, I, I think deep, deep down, I knew I had a problem with drinking. I just did not want, I wasn't ready yet to, address it. So I kept trying to fix other things. And so listening to your story, it sounds like you were perhaps maybe trying to fix other things before getting to a place of, okay, I, it's something inside of me. I'm going to live or I'm going to die. And that was after your mother passed. I don't know if I'm, if I'm reflecting accurately, but um, what, when your mother passed away, was there 
any time prior to her passing where you were thinking, oh, I drink too much? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I knew I had a problem when I was a teenager, and then I just didn't think it was a problem. I, I was in self-denial. And I did go to one 12-step meeting in 2005. So I obviously knew it was a problem, uh, obviously for me, not for anyone around me. Although every once in a while, a friend would maybe say something like, hey, you drank too much last night. And that person wouldn't be a friend anymore because I didn't want people around me pointing their finger and telling me what to do. So um, yeah. I finally uh, uh, self-diagnosed myself uh, in a roundabout way. And I knew I had a problem. And uh, I went on Google and, and, and online search engines. And I looked up questions like, how do you know if you're an alcoholic? And oh, you know, I, I was scoring a perfect score on all the tests. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was I was finally a genius at something, so I was getting all these great, great scores on all these tests. Of, but the it wasn't such a great the result. It meant that I was a full fledged uh, alcoholic or someone in need of help. So I did go to a meeting, and in two thousand five, uh, I went to a twelve step meeting, but I wasn't ready yet. I didn't even have that mustard seed of willingness, like we just talked about. So I, I sat through the whole meeting and I hated it because I heard things about the things we hear about recovery, which at, at that stage in my life, I wasn't ready to hear things like your life will change and you will know happiness and freedom and you will find love and compassion. And I thought, who are these people? This is ridiculous. This is so cultish. This is, what is this, a, a weird religion or something? What are these people on? Are they, they must be really on some kind of weird drug. It, <laughs> it's all this judgment, yeah. all this prejudice against recovery. And I knew nothing about it. And that's how ignorant many of us can be before we get sober is we think we know better. Meanwhile, my best thinking got me to the place where I basically wanted to kill myself slowly by drinking every single night. Yeah. And I'm sitting in a room full of people who are happy, laughing, laughing and smiling. And I'm thinking, these people are losers. And I didn't do anything other than that one meeting. Four years went by, four more years of self-torture, self-inflicted pain through drinking, where um, brings it, this brings us to the point where my mother got uh, diagnosed and, and she, she passed away. It was eight months after her death when I finally guess where I went back to? The one place where people were happy and laughing and were talking about love and compassion. I was finally ready to hear the message that was so prevalent and so open and so freely given in those rooms, in 12-step meeting rooms. Yeah. And my journey began there, uh, sitting in the back of one of those rooms and just finally, finally, at 34 years old, willing to listen to another perspective besides my own, which was out to get me. My own head was the worst place to be for many years. Yeah. And it was so nice to finally, when I was ready to get sober, to listen to someone else tell me what to do and how to do it and give some solid, positive suggestions. Even if they didn't seem right at the time or if I wasn't ready to do them, at least they were aligned with a, a better direction. It, the direction that I was headed, you know, brought me into a really dark place at least they were trying to steer me toward a much better place and and it worked it was incredible my life changed immediately uh within weeks all of a sudden it was it was almost as if i you know it's why didn't i do this sooner yeah. <laughs> yep i feel the same way can you say more about um when you you know that 
you got to that place where you decided to go back into the rooms where there was lots of laughter, you know, our emotions, I know for me, my emotions were all over the place when I first started um, in the, the same program of recovery. What, can you speak to the, the emotions, the feelings that you had in early sobriety working with this 12-step program? Sure. I was, uh, I had a lot of fear. And as I mentioned earlier, if you asked me at the time, oh, I would have denied it. I would have said, no, I'm cool. Everything's good. I understand. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm comfortable here. But I'm looking back now and, 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 and with 10 years of experience now living this life in recovery, I must have been a scared little boy, uh, a 35 year old man. And I was just shaking, timid. I walked in these rooms and all the men who were in there, and I call them men, meanwhile, they were 20 year old kids, but they had so much more emotional sobriety. They seemed like adult men to me. And I felt like a little boy because they had sobriety. They had recovery, not just sobriety. They didn't just put the bottle down, but they were working an active program to change their lives on a daily basis, to be better citizens, better community members, better fathers, better friends. They were living this life, which is recovery. And and we can talk about this later. I, I, recovery is this active thing. Mm-hmm. It's not just putting the bottle down. It's changing your life on a daily basis to be better, to, 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 to know love better, compassion better, to be who we are here to be. And all these guys, the men, specifically I stuck with the men. I just, I thought that was a better option. So I didn't get distracted with, um, with, with women or dating or any other thing like that. I just stayed with some men that I could trust and they were teaching me all these things. But I was, I was scared because I didn't know how to do these things. Or at least that's the story I told myself is, well, I don't know about how to be of service, which was nonsense. We all know how to help somebody. I had just been in denial that I wasn't capable. And honestly, I didn't want to. It, it, it was contrary to the way I'd lived for so many years. So when, I was, when it was suggested, when I got sober, in the 12-step rooms in early recovery, the suggestions were things like, try to be of service. And I thought, why would I bother doing that? That's a waste of time. I need help. Why am I going to help somebody else? I'm the one in need. And my my perspective was so selfish and self-absorbed and self-centered, I couldn't see beyond myself. So my emotional sobriety at the time was, was very uh, fear-based and self-absorbed. And I was dishonest. If somebody asked me how I was doing, I would tell them 12 different stories. And I wouldn't even know which one was true myself. Um, I wasn't used to telling the truth. So um, the reason I, I, I went to uh, 12-step rooms, one, I had mentioned it was the one place where I remembered that people were happy and they were welcoming and it's free. You know, you can, you, there's a donation you can put into a basket and but for the most part, it's free. Where I got myself to at that point in my life, I didn't have any money and I didn't have health insurance. So uh, a treatment center, uh, anything that cost money or all these things were not an option for me personally. So I didn't have anywhere else to go except um, the, the, uh, the fellowship of, of 12 step meetings. And, and I'm really glad that was my, my introduction to recovery because I don't know if I would have gotten it any other way. I think all things happen exactly as they are supposed to happen. And um, I met the people I was supposed to meet. I was thinking about this actually a couple of days ago that uh, how we're surrounded by, by the people we're supposed to be surrounded by and, and that nothing happens in God's world by mistake. That's one of the lines in the uh, literature in 12 yeah. step meetings. Nothing happens, nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. And I, I look back and I realize my, 
the first person I worked with when I went through the 12 steps, um, on paper, we were not alike at all. He was younger than I was. We had different backgrounds and different religious beliefs. That man, he was, <laughs> I, was I call him a man. I was 34, he was 25 or 26. But again, his emotional sobriety, he knew what life was about. At least that's what it seemed like to me. I had no clue. So I was willing to listen to anything this person almost 10 years younger than me was telling me mm. what to do. And uh, I mentioned him because every year when I celebrate one more year of sobriety, uh, recovery, he's the first person I call. And I call him and I tell him, uh, thank you for saving my life. You saved my life. So this... Um, this, this person that uh, gave his time for fun and for free. He met with me. We went over the steps. He, he taught me about all the principles that are inherent to each of the steps. And it set me on a path to go and explore life on my own. Um, this might be the jumping off point to yeah. another conversation. But uh, then I started to take my recovery. I started taking responsibility for my own recovery because I realized that a sponsor or a mentor or a therapist or a guru or a teacher, no one's going to do the work for me. I have to get out there and do it myself. And and that's when my journey really began. That's when I started uh, taking yeah. responsibility for my life. Yeah, I love that. I love what you just shared because it truly is a, you know, a two-way street when somebody offers to help. You know, We have to be willing to receive the help and then do the work ourselves. And, you know, that gift of desperation, that gift of willingness to, to change and to do something that's different than what our thinking might tell us is the right way to do it. I know for me, it, the way I thought was the right way was really the wrong way for so many years. And the, the same kind of experience occurred for me where somebody saved my life by sitting down and telling me their story and listening to me and helping me to learn how to, you know, essentially taught me a new design for living and to be a, um, a better person and to feel like I was more useful in this world. And that's where I want to kind of, you know, kind of transition into talking about the, the beautiful things that you're doing with your life right now. Um, yoga. And, and I would love to hear, I, more about that what you've been doing um for the past um i don't know how many years you've been teaching yoga now so so yeah tell us about that how you how you found yoga was it from recovery or did you do yoga before recovery i had been practicing yoga for a few years before i got sober at that time it was only stretching i didn't think anything about it other than it was a way to stretch when i didn't want to lift weights that was my idea of a, a workout, an easy workout. That's what I thought yoga was. And then with about two months sober, I ended up in a yoga class. And with only two months of sobriety, my head, my mind, my perspective shifted. I'd already gone through the first few steps at that point. I think I might've been up through step six or so. And I've done a lot of work at that point. I, and so when I went to a yoga class with a couple months sober, all of a sudden I realized this wasn't stretching anymore. This wasn't just exercise or a way to kill time. I was having a spiritual experience. On that mat, I felt I was on a magic carpet and I was being lifted above the, the turmoil of life, the, uh, the noise, the busyness, the chaos of, of what life can be on a daily basis for any of us. There's stress, the anxiety, the fear. When I stepped onto the mat, all of a sudden, 
all those things disappeared. I used to joke that my mat was my magic carpet upon which I transcend time and space. Wow. And that's what it felt like. And it was the one place where I was starting to connect to what I was beginning to call God or a higher power or a sense of the ultimate source of reality, universe, whatever anyone has as a name for that. That's what I started connecting to that, that, that sense of ultimate goodness. And so I started practicing more and more. And um, when I had about nine months sober, I decided to do a, a teacher training to become a teacher. I got into a point, I'd gone through the 12 steps and I was actually turning around and trying to help other uh, people in new in, in, in early recovery, new people um, who, were, who were newly sober. I was doing my best as I was taught to do to to take them through the steps and, and share my experience. And so I'd gotten to a place where it was time to do something with my life in addition to that. And I saw how yoga was a really integral part of my recovery, how it had become the place where I was not only feeling this connection to a higher power, but also really feeling connected to myself for that one hour on the yoga mat, it was, it was like therapy. It was very cathartic. It was therapeutic to just move mindfully, breathe consciously, and to just be at peace. It was, it was something I wanted to not just do anymore as, an, as a form of exercise by driving to the gym and taking this class or driving to the studio and doing this thing called yoga for an hour, but it had seeped into my being. And I, I, now, I wish I can take credit for becoming a teacher, but I can't. It was one of my, my teachers. Uh, she told me one day after I'd, I started practicing with her every week at the, at the local, just at the local gym. At the, and she one day said to me, she goes, she's looked at me kind of funny. And she said, you're going to be a teacher one day. Oh, wow. And I thought it was just the most crazy thing I'd ever heard. And I don't even know what I said. I think I told her something like, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. Because <laughs> um, that, at that time, it was nowhere, you know, this idea. I still, in the back of my mind, thought I was going to be this creative type. Like I mentioned earlier, when I moved to New York City, when I was in my early 20s, I still wanted to be in the entertainment industry. And, and when she said this, it just, it landed. But I didn't know how deeply until... I got to about nine months sober and I, it was time to do something with my life. And I just, I remembered that. She said, you're going to be a teacher. And I thought, I think it, I think I am. Yeah. I, I called her up and I asked her how to do it. And she was so excited. She goes, I knew it. I knew it. Aww. And, uh, and I asked her, what do I do? Who do I train with? And how do I, how do I do it? And specifically I told her, I, she, I, you know, I said, I want to figure out how to combine yoga and recovery. And at that time, you know, now it's been a few years, it's been almost 10 years of, I've been teaching almost as long as I've been sober, about nine years or so at this point, uh, but not many people were, were combining yoga and recovery. There were a few classes here and there, but I told her, I said, I wanted to find a way to combine the, the spirituality of, of addiction recovery, the things we learn in recovery, but also the moral codes and self-disciplines that we learned about in yoga. And there's a synthesis there, it's, they're parallel paths, they're both very similar. And I wanted to figure out a way to teach that, to, to share that, to create space for people to feel both those things and integrate the system of, uh, of yoga, not just the physical postures, but the philosophy, the mythology, the, um, the, the coming home to oneself that we feel when we practice and, and combine these things with things in recovery, which are more practical. Like, how do you get rid of fear? How do you deal with anger? You know, how do you deal with resentments? 
and put all this together. And, and so I started teaching. You must have had, you, oh, th that's incredible. I love it. I wish you were here on the East Coast so I could take a class of yours. To, the experiences you must have had, I mean, I, I can only imagine, but being on the other side, now being a teacher, can you speak to um, some of the experiences you've had in teaching yoga along with, you know, uh, teaching yoga um, for people who are in recovery? What's that been like for you? It's been amazing. And um, what I was taught in recovery was to, to be of service, to give it away for fun and for free, whatever you got, share with others, be of service, help others. And so I wanted to do that. So as soon as I was certified to teach yoga, I reached out to all the treatment centers where I live and all the sober living homes and anywhere where I can uh, offer what I wanted to offer. And nobody would return my emails or phone calls. Nobody seemed interested. Hmm. And what I was taught in recovery is, you know, if you have something on your heart, you know, that you really feel called to do, then you'll find a way to do it. So I rented a church space in West Hollywood where I was living at the time. And I knew the church was friendly to 12-step groups, so they probably, I, I assumed they would be interested in having a, a yoga-themed recovery group. So I asked the, the uh, pastor or the reverend, I remember what his title was. At the time, we sat down and we talked, and I said, I'd like to do a yoga and recovery group, like a 12-step yoga kind of thing, like a meeting. Can we do that here? And he said, sure. <laughs> well, first he asked, what is it? And I said, I don't know yet for sure, but we're <laughs> going to figure it out together. Um, and he let us do that. And so every week I would host this group for free people in the community to come do yoga with other people in recovery. And it grew and we'd had people come and, it, and it, more people would come and it word of mouth and we'd get more people. And I did that every week for about a year or so. And, um, and then, uh, well, there's, I mean, there's so many little amazing stories in there, but the, um, what I learned in that first year was I didn't know it at the time, but I was, finding my voice as a teacher, specifically how to hold space, sacred, safe, healing space for other people in recovery to use yoga as a, a means for transformation and healing and recovery, how to do this all together. So I, I didn't know at the time, I thought I was just teaching for friends for free and just, you know, it was felt like well, the next right thing. So I did it and I didn't realize how beneficial that was like a free uh, masterclass in training myself how to work with people in recovery. I didn't think of it that way. I just thought I was doing something that was, you know, it, it sounded like the right thing to do. And now I look back and realize how integral that time was because about a year and a half into doing this, as I mentioned, for fun and for free, I wasn't taking a payment or a salary for this. It was just part of my service to the community, the community that saved my life. And I thought it was the least I can do is offer this free class once a week. And um, somebody showed up one night and she was new and she took the class. And afterwards she said, you should teach this class where I work. And I said, where do you work? And she named this uh, treatment center. Oh, wow. And I told her, I have been emailing them and trying to reach out to them for a year. They don't want anything to do with me. And she said, use my name. And I did. I, I emailed them again the next day or a few days later. I used her name and they asked me to come and, and do a demo or a sample class. And I went and uh, I was offered a job and I've been working there for more than eight years now. So um, That's incredible. it's neat because if she would have showed up 
any earlier, I don't know if I would have been ready as a teacher. Mm. But she showed up after I had been doing this for a year. Every week, without fail, I have been reading bodies and holding space and creating circles at the end. We all would share and I would figure out which breath techniques work best for this population, for those of us in recovery. Because there's certain poses and, and breathing exercises you probably don't want to do right away if you're detoxing or if you're barely able to keep your physical balance. So I started to figure out which sequences, which poses, which breathing exercises worked. And when she finally showed up, I was ready. And I've been there at the same treatment center ever since. And um, my work has expanded since then in so many different ways. But uh, I'm so grateful for that, that year or so of just getting that time to figure out how am I going to do this? I had no idea it would be an, uh, you know, an eight year gig, you know, it would lead to a job that was never the intention to get a job. I just, it just felt like the next thing. And so most of what I learned about working in, um, with people in recovery was in that church space for fun and for free every week. And not to discredit what I've learned actually working as a professional, I've been on the therapeutic uh, clinical team for, eight years now at a prominent treatment center. And I've worked with thousands of clients. I've, I've led thousands of groups and I've seen it all. Most of my personal experience was with alcohol. So working in treatment, I've seen alcohol and drugs and, and pills and needles and food and sex and porn and video games, you name it, all kinds of addictions. Oh, wow. And I've been able to hold space and create a, a space for people of, of, of all kinds to come and, and use yoga. That's the beautiful thing about yoga. Yoga doesn't care if, if you drink and this person over here uses needles and that person over there uses chocolate cake. Yoga doesn't care what your thing is. It's so, um, it's almost like it cuts right through all the, uh, the outer stuff. It goes right to the inner. And that's what I was taught when I did my, my first training is that yoga is a, a journey of the self through the self to the ultimate self. It has nothing to do with the outer things. The outer things aren't what make you drink. It's the inner life. And I think it's one of the first things you mentioned was emotional sobriety. And that's what the, re the physical sobriety is just put, you put the thing down, whatever it is, you, you put it down. There's your physical sobriety. There you go. It's not going to change much until you go inside. You have to go, most of us, we need to go home to ourselves and figure out what was behind that 20 years of drinking. Why was I miserable? Where does this anger come from? And then we've got our work cut out for us, most of us. But the neat thing is you don't have to figure all of it out today, um, one day at a time. What I've learned is whatever's in front of you, that's the next thing. Tackle that next, work on that next. If all of a sudden you have anger issues, then well, I guess that's the next part of your spiritual curriculum. Work on that next. Um, wow, that's incredible. You know, I, I've, I've never really thought of yoga as being therapy in uh with recovery because when i was in early recovery i had to do a lot of therapy uh, emdr for um, early childhood trauma and um, i did that for several years and i actually did start do doing yoga and i stopped because um, for a couple of reasons but one of the reasons why i stopped is that i found it was really emotional like it was almost like too much for me to handle like I would and it wasn't like a class like you teach by any means it was just kind of like a normal normal yoga class and I remember there were some poses that I held 
that all of a sudden I just felt so open and vulnerable and exposed and I started to cry and I had, I had to leave. Like it was almost like it was too much for me. I mean, I don't know if that is, does that sound like that's something that you obviously you've treated thousands of people or, or worked with thousands of people in recovery and yoga classes. Is that something you see? Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm so glad you shared that experience because it's something that we learn about in, in most teacher training programs for yoga teachers. We'll learn about the, what the body stores and where the body stores certain emotions and feelings. Uh, for example, in the shoulders, most of us carry the weight of the world, all of our burdens and responsibilities, and not just our own, but our family, those we care about, we carry that in the shoulders. That's where we have this tension. Um, another example that might be more relatable is in the stomach, we carry our fears and control issues. We literally can make ourselves sick when we're scared. We're trying to control things that we can't control. We get nauseous, we get diarrhea, we get vomiting, we give ourselves ulcers. Uh, some of the other popular or more uh, relatable areas for those of us in recovery. In the hips, we store things like abandonment issues, sexual trauma, rejection, betrayal. When we, as you mentioned, hold a hip opener for a little while, memories start to come up. Things start to come up. The body has been storing this stuff for years in, in many of our cases. And it never, these emotions, these feelings, these memories, it's almost as if they never had an escape hatch. They never had a way out. So they've been sitting there stuck, lodged in the body, not just the physical body, but the psyche, the soul, the spirit for so many years. And we finally open up this little portal, this space in one of these silly little yoga poses. And we get this release. We wonder why we feel so emotional while we're crying. For many of us, it's because you're finally letting go of something you've been holding on to that wasn't yours to hold on to for way too long. Um, in the lower back, we store anger. Um, in the heart space, and this one also is probably relatable, we store sadness, loss, grief, depression. You can, t excuse me, you can tell when someone is heartbroken. Their chest is sunken in, the shoulders slump forward. You can see it. Now, conversely, in all these areas, we also store more positive things. So if the heart space is closed up or, or broken or unbalanced, in the heart space, we also store things like love and compassion and understanding and forgiveness and grace and mercy. So when we do something like a heart opening pose in yoga, that's what we're moving toward. We're moving from the dark to the light, from the negative to the positive. We're getting rid of the sadness. We're finding joy. We're getting rid of the depression. We're finding peace and freedom. And there's this there's this sense you can feel it energetically in the room when people are going through this and it, it permeates the room. We all have our own individual journey. So if I'm on my mat and I'm experiencing something and you're on your mat next to me and you're experiencing something, you're on your journey and I'm on my journey, but we're sharing that space together. It's almost as if we're like, we just talked about, we're doing this kind of uh, inner life therapy uh, together. Um, and the neat thing is it goes back thousands of years. We didn't create this. I didn't create this. I don't want to ever try to take credit for yoga or healing or yoga and recovery. This was just something I kind of fell into and seems to be what I'm supposed to be doing now. And I'm so grateful because it's nothing more than trying to share the things that have saved my life. And if they work for anyone else, great. And if not, great. As I mentioned earlier, there's so many paths. So if yoga is not the thing for somebody, find something else. But I do feel it physical detox, physical strengthening, 
attention to the physical body is essential. It's crucial for recovery. We can't get sober and then start, you know, eating junk food and we have to, and then we start eating more sugar and then more caffeine and more nicotine. There's no point for me. This is my personal opinion to get sober for me. For example, if I put down the alcohol, but then I, I take up uh, sugar or caffeine or nicotine or something else that can be just as detrimental to my physical health. What was the point? So recovery has to become holistic. It has to include the whole body. And as I mentioned also, it doesn't have to be done all at once because we do. Most of us are going to find in our recovery, we have some other things to look at. So if alcohol is my primary addiction, um, I may have to look at caffeine next if I'm drinking 12 cups of coffee a day. And if I'm still smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, I might have to look at that next because it doesn't make sense to clean up this area of my life over here and leave this area dirty. It's like having a beautiful clean house, but there's one closet where all the junk is. It doesn't make much sense. We have to start to clean up everything. And, and yoga is a way to kind of uh, do a grand sweeping of the entire, of the entire house. I love that image of you know the closet, cleaning up different closets and doing it at your own pace. I think that's that's really essential too. That recovery is not a race. That we you know need to do it at a pace that we're comfortable with. Because a lot of us who do come into into um, recovery from any kind of addiction, we, a lot of us have experienced trauma in some way or another. And and everyone's trauma is trauma. You know that you know it's all relative and. Um, you know, I just have to reflect again that, you know, what you just shared is absolutely beautiful. And, and I want you to tell listeners where people can find you. But, and before you do that, I just have to say that, you know, this all, what you do now, you know, it all, you said it started because I'm just looking at my notes. I took notes here about how you um, listened to your, what your heart was telling you? Like if you have something in your heart to seek it out, is that, is that what you said? You said that. Yeah, something like that where um, it felt like that was almost, um, it was written on my heart. This is, this is the next, it was the blueprint. It was the next thing I was supposed to do. And um, I knew it was because in my past, I've tried to do other things for a career I've tried to do other things for my life. And it was almost as if the, the world, the universe, other people were, were, were not, there was brick walls everywhere. There were closed doors everywhere. I wasn't getting where I needed to go when I was doing other things. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I decided to pursue this path of teaching yoga, there were no obstacles. Everything fell away. Every door flew wide open. There were windows opening up. People were calling me, emailing me. There was no more struggle. And I've never had any other experience in my life where that's happened. So much of my life, I was going against the grain. I was doing things that I thought I wanted to do out of ego and pride and, and other things. And they never worked. And teaching yoga was that one thing. And still, that seems to be what I'm supposed to do. And, um, and it's since branched off into, into creating uh, all kinds of other projects and other things. And yes, tell us about that. Yeah. Uh, insight timer is a meditation app. It's really popular. There's, I think, uh, 16 million people have downloaded the app. It's a free app. 
which I love about what they offer. It's a free app and they have over at this time, 45,000 free guided meditations for anyone around the world to use meditation any way you like. And they recently started to offer audio courses. And so I have a 30 day audio course on the app and it's titled recovery principles for a purposeful life. And I had already had some guided meditations on there for a while and a couple uh, other courses and um, I felt called to create this, this course about recovery. After working in treatment professionally for the last nine years or so, and then being sober personally for the last 10 years, I started to see things as we do. We start to pick up, there's, there was some common themes or principles that started to show up in the lives of people that I knew in recovery who seemed happy and joyous and free. And that's what the course is about, 30 of those principles that uh, when addressed, when looked at, when practiced, when thought about, lead to a, a pretty purposeful life. That's beautiful. Now, is it, is it intended for people who are just starting out in recovery or is it um, for anyone in recovery or like what, what audience would, would be, find this most appealing, I guess? So far, it's interesting. Uh, all kinds. So there's people who are in the course. It's a, it's it's a, something you can do at your own pace. Uh, it's an, on the app. So um, I also am involved. There's an online course classroom where there's interaction back and forth. So if someone is new, uh, and this speaks to your question, so they'll somebody had posted in the course classroom recently that they are not sure if they want to get sober. Um, that uh, they just wanted to be honest about that, that they're, they, were, they were listening to the lessons, but they're not really sure if they want to be sober. So that's somebody who's not even on day one yet, but at least they're curious, they're interested. And then the, at the other side of the spectrum are people with years of sobriety who are using the lessons almost as a tune-up or a refresher, or maybe they hit a roadblock somewhere into their sobriety where things have gotten stagnant and they want to see what they may be able to do differently to keep growing and to keep learning new things. So there are some students in there like that as well. And um, it really is a, an honor, uh, is a blessing to, I get to do this today. You know, it's almost like that old saying, I have to pinch myself, like this is my life. To go from where I was a hope to die drunk at 34 years old, I didn't care about life. I didn't care if I lived or died. I didn't care about you. I didn't care about me. I didn't care about anything. My, my life was just a vacuum. The insides were just so empty. To go from that, fast forward 10 years later, I have a beautiful daughter. She's five years old. I get to be a dad now. I get to be a teacher, a friend, a, a son, a brother. Um, it's just incredible. And it has nothing to do with me. I'm not special or unique or, or, or even all that smart. But I was willing to do a little bit of work. And that's what's beautiful about recovery is it will find you where you are and the right people will show up in the right situations. And you can go from there to here. If you would have told me 10 years ago, all the stuff I just mentioned to you that I would be doing any of this, I would have said, that's, that's, that's a lie. That's, you got the wrong guy. I don't believe it. Yeah. It's just, it's incredible what can happen. And the reason I, I you know, I, I, I like to uh, share on, on these recordings and create this content is to 
bear witness to, and this is testimony. And I think we mentioned before we started recording, this is our ministry where we turn our, our mess into a message. We turn our pain into purpose. Um, oh, this, becomes, this becomes our mission statement. Yep. You know, what else are we here to do but ex ex share our own personal experience with life and, and what it means to us. And especially those of us who have survived active addiction and somehow it's like we walk out of the, 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 the flames of hell. And then somehow we're sitting on the other side of life going, whoo, thank God I didn't get burned too bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. it's so much cooler on this side of things. Why didn't I come over here earlier? This, there's a pool here and there's, there's, well, this is nice. What was yeah. I doing up there? That was terrible back there. There's people yelling back there and there's sirens and there's bombs going off over here in recovery land. This is amazing. What? But yeah. it takes what it takes. And I'm so glad to be on this side of, of the street. Uh, yeah. But I think the only reason I can stay on this side is because I have been willing, as I was taught in early recovery, yeah. to look out for the people who are still stuck on the other side and be willing to reach my hand out and give whatever I got to help them cross the threshold. Because it's not something many of us can do alone. I didn't get sober by myself. I would never take credit for my sobriety. Um, I had many men step in. And, and tell me the things that I needed to hear, even when I didn't want to hear them. They cared, cared more about my life than my feelings. They told me what I needed to hear, and it saved my life. And uh, I have friends like that around me today. Uh, maybe that's the last thing I'll share, is that if you are in recovery or wanting to get sober, or if your recovery is getting a little um, unstable, you know, make sure to have people around you that understand you and life and recovery and can support you and um, tell you the truth about where you are. And um, I think honesty is the most crucial principle for those of us in recovery and <laughs> especially those of us uh, who are around other people who are, who are sober. Um, yeah. Oh, I love, I love what you shared. I mean, I don't know if I can't, there's nothing much else I can say, but cause you just shared the most incredible story and the wisdom that you have and the peace that you hold. I mean, it's just palpable and I can feel it through um, this, this recording. And that is what, I love most about recovery is that there's a peace inside of me. You know, sometimes it slips away at times, you know, it's not perfect, but generally speaking, there's a peace that I have being in recovery and being recovered that I never imagined having. And it's almost something that I just keep seeking. I keep wanting more of that peace, keep wanting to find, and meeting you and learning about yoga and how it can be another avenue to just seeking out more inner peace and getting to a place of like that higher self and um, not like higher, like I'm better than other people, but just, you know, more in touch with, with my, my body and my soul and spirit and my life's purpose. And what you're doing is such a beautiful service. I mean, you, you turned your life around from from darkness to to light i mean that's that's when i picture your life that's what i picture darkness to light and you're helping thousands of people and so i i do want to give you the opportunity to help people find you and i i'll certainly put information about you in the show notes but if you can just speak to where if your location where you teach i know you've taught at a lot of different yoga places and just where people can find you or if you know of other places around the country or around the world that do other people do what you do 
most treatment centers have used yoga or other forms of movement as uh, therapy. Um, so you usually find yoga uh, at, at treatment centers and sober living houses and uh, other places like that. And then you don't have to get to, if anyone is, is new to recovery or in recovery and wants to explore yoga as, a, as, a, as an addition to their program or design for living, you can just go to your local gym. Um, well, actually not right now as we record this, we're coming out of the pandemic. Uh, most gyms aren't open, the coronavirus pandemic, but uh, online, YouTube videos, um, that's where you can find me um, to answer your question. I have a website, brianhymanyoga.com. All of my content is there, there are links there. Um, I think that, um, yeah, personally, as I mentioned, that's yoga was a very integral part of my personal recovery and remains. And here's one of the coolest parts. You don't have to do handstands to get sober. You don't have to be adept, advanced, or even know anything about Sanskrit or what namaste means. Yoga is as advanced as you want it to be. It's an individual, just like recovery. So if I want to go through the 12 steps in three months and the guy next to me is taking two years to go through, there's, that's his path and I have my path. The same thing with yoga. So if I'm doing Ashtanga or Vinyasa or power yoga and you want to do Kundalini, someone else wants to do Hatha, we all have our own style. We all have our own way of doing it. So whatever style you want, you will, like you mentioned, you'll find your higher self and whatever you feel called to do, there's probably a reason. Do that, follow that. So the style I teach is usually a Vinyasa style. It may not be for everybody. And I would suggest uh, to anyone who's not into that style, find one that works for you. And the same thing with meditation. I mentioned Insight Timer. There's so many. There's a reason there are 45,000 free guided meditations because there are different teachers, different styles. Some meditations have you focus on breath. Some have you visualize. Some have you repeat mantras. There's so many ways. And once I started to figure these things out when I got sober, I thought, how can you not get sober when there's so many ways to do it? And how can you not practice yoga if there's so many ways to do it? How can you not find peace in the world? The Buddha said this, there are 80,000 doors to liberation. He didn't say, I have one way, follow my one way. And you'll... He said there are 80,000 doors. There's 80,000 paths, but they all lead up to the same mountain. We'll all get there. We just probably will get there a different way. I'll take my car. You take your bike. Someone else takes a motorcycle. We'll all get there. Uh, yoga just happened to be the way that I got there and stay there. And, and I'm not attached to it either. So if all this is taken away from me or uh, I, I feel called to do something else, then uh, I'll do that next. So it's, as I mentioned, it's not, um, I love doing it, but it's, it doesn't define me. My identity is not wrapped up in it. Um, and that's the freedom that I get in recovery is I'm doing what I'm supposed to do for now. And if it helps others, hopefully, then I've done my job. I sleep well at night knowing that's all I was supposed to do. And I'm ready for the next thing. And I keep growing. I'm still a student. I'm still taking classes, yoga classes as a student. I usually hide in the back and <laughs> I, don't, I don't tell anybody I'm a teacher. And, <laughs> and I still share in 12-step meetings and I still call um, my mentors and my sponsor every day and I check in and um, I remain as, as, as teachable as I can and open-minded and um, you never know where you're going to hear the next the next thing that's going to change your life. It could be the guy or girl with one day sober who says the one thing you've been waiting your entire life to hear, and that's what's going to change your life. But if we have this prejudice or judgment that, oh, he only has one day sober, what does he know? What doesn't he know? How do you know he doesn't have the secret to life? Yeah. And so I, I keep my ears open in my recovery. I keep my eyes open and my heart open, absolutely. 
so far so good. I've somehow done this for, t- <laughs> for, for more than 10 years. And I laugh because, you know, toward the end of my drinking and use, uh, my active addiction, you know, I, uh, the thoughts of suicide and, and death and, and darkness, um, they, were, they were there. You know, I didn't, I didn't really want to be here anymore, to be honest. And, and to get to where I am now, 10 years later, laughing about life and just enjoying it. And I'm almost speechless to try and figure out how do we even get, how do we even get here? Except we, we just, we hang on just a little bit longer and we just try. So for anyone out there, I know this is a podcast for, you know, people who are maybe trying to get sober, people who are sober, maybe people who have been sober a while. Uh, let's remember that we do this work together and hang in there. If you're not feeling it yet, if anything I said in this recording doesn't resonate with you, um, please listen to the next one, the next speaker or the one before it and hang in there. Yeah, I think that's a spiritual principle. It doesn't get much credit hanging in there. <laughs> yes. Oh, <clears throat> excuse me. Beautiful. Brian, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your story. Um, surely you will inspire many and um I hope to stay in touch with you because I feel like I could learn a lot from you in terms of yoga and, um, and, and I hope our, our paths cross that way. So, so it's been a joy. It's been such a joy to talk with you and um, learn about what you do and how you've turned your life around because you were simply willing. I mean, that's basically it. You were willing and um, that's all it takes. You know, some people, I think, think that this sober thing is, you know, a trend or just, you know, a trendy thing or, oh, how can it be long lasting? And you just spoke to that. You spoke to how this can be a lifelong thing and um, to live a life with, with a peaceful heart is um, much more comfortable for me, for this alcoholic, than to live a life in darkness and loneliness and with anger in my heart um, and that's how I lived before and drinking just was the the uh, the fuel that fired it up even um, more so so thank you again and I wish you the best of luck in in all your endeavors but it looks like your life is just moving organically the way it's supposed to move and it's a it's a beautiful life you have thank you Thank you. It is. I, I, I really appreciate this opportunity and thank you for the work you're doing out in the world with this podcast and, and sharing uh, your message, but also um, the stories of other people in recovery. And hopefully together we inspire um, others who may need to hear these things and um, we keep the, 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 the spirit, you know, we keep the light on for others. We, we keep the, we keep it going around. So I, I love what you're doing. It's, it's an amazing thing. So please keep it up. Yeah. The recovery thing. We can't do it alone, right? We've got to do it together. Absolutely. So, well, great. Well, you have a great day and, and um, enjoy the sunset with your daughter tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Thank you to my guest and all of you for listening. I hope what you heard inspires you to look for and recognize the gifts of sobriety. Sober Gratitudes, a podcast dedicated to delivering messages of hope through true stories of recovery. A sober life is possible if you truly want it. Mm